Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. Now in our 29th year together, Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download broadcasts of previous shows. This Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. And also, I believe tomorrow or Monday, I'm not quite sure how quickly it comes up, you can also go to the free app SoundCloud and download any and all past programs of Money Talk. It's always a terrific idea to call at the beginning or text the beginning of the hour. Give me, I hope, ample time to do my best to answer your questions. We have all of our lines available, no new texts, and here it looks like John. Oh, terrific. John, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, yeah, hi, hi Carl. Hi. Um, glad to talk to you today. Thank you. Good, thanks. And, and uh, yeah, I've been listening, I guess, for the last couple of years where, uh-huh. where you've been uh, talking about yeah, long-term bonds. Uh, yes. Even before that, they, 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 they tanked. Uh, yeah. You were... You were pretty uh, premonition and said, uh, "Yeah, they, they they just don't see. You didn't see a lot of upside with the right. with the rates as low as they were." Exactly. And then recently, you said they're starting to look better. Yes. But uh, yes. but you're still recommending. I think last week, uh, intermediate and short term yes. funds. Yes. Uh, but what is your take on when um, when you would see? Uh, you are you waiting for like a the the curved uh, not in be inverted before you would look into uh, think about looking buying long-term bonds I, this, that, yeah that's a portfolio gr- sure that's a great question um, it would have to take a really traditional yield curve that was steep enough on the long end to get me interested because if it's still relatively you know let's let's say we go back to a normal yield curve where short rates are lower than intermediate rates and are lower than long rates it's been a, cl- a long time since we've had that there's been very little pickup in yield going out beyond if you look at the 10-year treasury and then you look at the 30-year just to compare intermediate to long it there would have to be a significant spread between those two for me to feel comfortable extending maturities because we both know bonds are intended to be conservative investments and the ugly math of long-term bonds if you're wrong on interest rates you know back i've been doing some reading and i can tell you're a student of the markets as well john back in the, when uh in the 70s uh who, who the, the i can't remember the gentleman's name but he he preceded paul volcker and uh, we had a huge inflation. They raised rates, and then they stopped and lowered them, and inflation took off again. Uh, and everything I read indicates that Chairman Powell uh, is very familiar with that, and he does not want to do that. And so the odds that he keeps rates higher for longer uh, until the data change is, is very good. And there's just not a lot of pickup on a total return basis and going out beyond the intermediate. Now, as I said, there could come a time where you really do have 
extra pickup and yield and you're comfortable that there's not an inflationary whiff in the air, well, then longer term rates might be attractive. But I, I, I happen to think that's a long ways away. As, as you know, if you follow the financial news, there's a lot of debate about are we going to have a recession? Are we going to have a soft landing? And if you watch the Wall Street economists, they keep postponing when they think the recession is going to occur. Uh, and the, the, the data just don't indicate it. There's the job data, the inflation data, none of it indicates that we're right around the corner from a recession. So it seems to me the current consensus is the recession when it occurs, and there's still more than 50% think we'll have one, when it occurs will be sometime later in 2024. Well, that's, you know, that's a considerable time from now. So it's conceivable that the Fed holds rates high well into next year. So I, I, I just it's going to take a really steep yield curve, frankly, and a real softening of the economy for to be interested in buying long-term bonds. That's how I, that's how I would do it in my portfolio. Okay, and you're looking at the intermediate term, but seven yes. year or less. Or yes, you know the yeah. duration of the uh, the index that bond. Uh, people use is called the Bloomberg Ag. And the duration of the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index is between six and seven. You're right. And for the rest of our listeners who aren't as knowledgeable as you, you can talk about the average maturity of a bond fund portfolio. But what you're really interested in is duration. And the reason is that shows you the sensitivity to the price of the bonds or to the value of the mutual fund or exchange-traded fund. So if you have a seven duration, what that means is if interest rates were to go up 1%, the value of those bonds or the net asset value of that ETF or mutual fund ought to drop 7%. And so going out further than that, it doesn't seem to me uh, makes a lot of sense. The other thing is, today when you can get uh, actual real return, right now the, the Fed funds rate is above the rate of inflation. That's usually been a pretty darn good signal historically to begin to buy bonds. And I think, and I talked about this last week, I think not for you because you understand this. I think there's risk because for the first time in gee, 10, 12, 13 years, you really get something on cash. You can get into a government money market fund with over a 5% yield. And I just am concerned the opposite of what you asked, and that is that people just abandoned the bond funds. They've been, they've been in net liquidation, and there's just been billions, I think perhaps trillion of dollars going into money market funds. That's fine, if that if that if you want that essential daily liquidity with no market risk but people are going to look back a year from now or 18 months from now and if they put all their money in the money market fund they're going to have missed a great opportunity to buy bonds so i like the intermediate space for part of the money frankly i like a barbell approach john where i'd have a short shorter term investment grade bond fund because it's got a high yield today because of what i just said and then a core investment grade core is a word Morningstar uses, a core investment grade intermediate bond fund. That way, if rates go up from here, and they may go up a bit, you're not going to have a lot of principal risk in your in your, in your your intermediate fund, and you're going to have actually have more yield because if rates go up, the short-term rates will go up as well. So I like a, I like a, 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 a what I said is a, a kind of a barbell approach in a bond portfolio. Okay, well, well, thank you for that. Um, I do have one other question. If sure. You if you have time, Phil. Sure, I do. Uh, it's please. 
it, and it's totally different. It's a, it's more of a psychology question, right. and uh, that is, uh, uh, as I as I'm getting close to approaching, you know, five years out, I'll probably be retiring and, okay. and starting to use, starting to pull down some of the uh, the money that we've invested yes. in uh, in our four hundred one k and our IRAs and Roth Good. and all that. So sure. but now the the thing is, is that to me, I'm, I've been a I guess a saver all my life, and I enjoyed saving it, investing. Good. And I'm, I'm kind of to the point where I almost regret think, looking forward. I think I'm going to regret ever taking anything out because it's huh. been for so many years been putting money in. And I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming you've, 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 you've had customers at that. Of course. Too. Of course. <laughs> well, what do you tell them? So I tell them a, a couple of things. Uh, if the combination of Social Security and pension income is enough to live on, then don't take it out. But realize that you've become, I'll use a fancy term, a legacy investor. So I, I've told this story over the years. I had a friend and client, Lou, who ultimately passed away when he was 102. And when he was in his 90s, I recall he had something like 65% in equities. And I said to him one day, you know, Lou, uh, all the... Uh, all the books I read and all the training I took over the years said you put your age in bonds and the balance in stocks. So as you grow older, you put more and more in bonds. And here you are with 65% in stocks. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, Carl, I'm not investing for myself. I'm investing for my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren. And I'm a long-term investor. So if you get to the point where you have adequate money to be financially independent and you have to take the required minimum distribution, so be it. But the rest of it, decide what you'd like to do, how you'd like to make the world a better place with with your good habits of saving and investing, whether that's giving it to relatives upon your demise or making charitable contributions. And of course, once you get into that required minimum distribution, you have the ability now, it's a terrific opportunity to do a qualified charitable distribution. And you can take up to $100,000 of your required minimum distribution for your church or your alma mater or the Girl Scouts or whatever, whatever feels good to you and not have to pay taxes on the RMD. So don't feel like you have to take it out. If you're a saver and investor, start to think about how it is that you'd like to leave your family and or the world a better place. That's how I look at it personally. Okay. Well, well thank you very much. Okay. appreciate that. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'm going to take a break. We have all of our lines available. No incoming texts. So call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a question, call or text 512 836 0590. This week, I got some interesting and monthly up-to-date information on the Austin housing market. If you're listening and you're in Houston or San Antonio, some of what I'm about to tell you is likely going on in your market as well. So these data are from the end of August. So the meat is called the Austin housing market. The median sales price was $463,500. That's down 
uh, 11% on a year-over-year basis. The total number of homes sold was 2,698. That's down 4% from year-over-year. The median days on the market was 49 days, and that's up 44% year-over-year. And the supply of inventory is four months. That's down 2% year-over-year. And the number of homes or the percentage of homes that sold above list price was 16%. That's down a pretty strong 57% of year-over-year. The new listings, new listings were 3,569. That's down 16% since last month. That would be July. And the median price per square foot, which I think is the key number, was $237, and that's down 12%. So some of the takeaway is that the number of homes sold were down. That's not terribly surprising given interest rates and mortgage rates at 7-plus percent. The median drop on the days on the market was up. I, again, that's not surprising. But one of the things is probably keeping prices from falling further is the supply of inventory is down, actually down. So home builders are not adding that much inventory, and people sitting on their 3 and 3.5% three and mortgages are not interested in selling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Joe, you're on the air. How may I help? Well, once again, thanks for all your service uh, Thank you. to the community. Thank you. I have a question, and unfortunately, I cannot put a discreet finger on mm-hmm. the particular issue, but I'll try best as I can. Okay. I, I, was, I, I listened to the radio a lot, uh, both good and bad. Yes. Uh, but for the last couple, three months, there was mention of some sort of very, very substantial change in the monetary policy of our government. And I don't mean fiscal and monetary, but it was like $100 bills were going to be uh, invalidated or such uh, uh, bitcoins would be accepted by the federal government or some sort of just wild uh, stuff. And it was supposed to have happened uh, in August or September, and I just can't find any information about it. So uh, having said that, have at it, pal. Well, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, we had a caller who said that she was told to tell her relatives and friends to take all of her money out of the bank because it was all going to go away on August 22nd. Well, here we are on the 2nd of September, and you noticed it didn't. This that is just sounds a, like what the, what the big yes. warning was, danger yes. warning, warning. Yes. You know. there, you know, it's, just, it's just a bunch of baloney. It's treading on people's fears. Uh, it's conspiracy crap. Uh, they start. They picked up on uh, this uh, group called BRIC, which is a, which is an old acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Uh, and they added South Africa. Oh, they're going to get together, and it's going to be the end of the dollar and all of this baloney. None of that's going to happen. Uh, they 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 what they want to do is have some kind of power in the world uh, versus uh, the northern part of the of the of the world. But the fact of the matter is, the Indians and the Chinese to say they have bad relations since they shoot each other is an understatement. But they some people grab onto these 
these things that start with a fact, like the meetings in South Africa of those countries, and say, oh my gosh, they're going to get rid of the dollar, we're going to lose all our money, and it's just a bunch of baloney, and, you, and you're right, you're, you're welcome to listen to the radio all the time, and I'm glad you listen to this broadcast, but there's people get on, and they sell advertising, so they get on the air, or they pay for the show, and then they just they just say stupid things and get people all round wound around the axle. So, please know none of that's going to happen. There's nothing changed uh, regarding our currency, regarding as you say our monetary policy, and so it's just it's just you know what I said. I can't say what it really is because frankly, this is a, <laughs> this is a family it, show. It, but it, I think it, it sounds. Yeah. It sounds silly. Yeah, and it is silly. Things that sound silly uh, yeah. are. Yes. But <laughs> I, I figured there was something, uh, uh, maybe a, a little yeah. tidbit of something yeah. somewhere, but usually, you know, it's usually just a bunch of uh, uh, malarkey, as a that's famous exactly. person would say. <laughs> that's exactly. Malarkey is a good, a good old fashioned word. You're right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so much, so much uh, for uh, uh, bricks. Yes. Uh, I live in a stucco house, so I'm not worried about bricks. <laughs> Good for you. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Hi, Carl. I'm close to retirement and worried about rising property taxes in Texas. Can you talk about how to manage this increasing expense in retirement? It's a great show. Thank you. There's no easy answer. Uh, when you live in a state uh, where there's not a state income tax, um, this, the ways in which tax money can be raised are limited. Uh, you've got school taxes. Uh, in, some, in some cities, you have uh, taxing districts. We have a junior college taxing district. A uh, number of cities in Austin, including uh, Central Texas and Austin, have health care districts. They're taxing districts. The city is going to be a taxing district because they have to raise the money. And other than move, selling and moving into a lower-priced residence, you don't have a lot of choice. Now, you, you could sell and you could rent – but an economist would tell you that those rising property taxes are going to show up in rising rent. I I have an office lease. It's called a triple net lease. I pay the I pay the landlord, and then all the property taxes and maintenance expenses are added up, and then we each pay our fair share. Guess what? It's going up. So there really is no way to avoid it other than selling your residence and moving into a much smaller, uh, less expensive place. Or you can say, well, I'm going to move to a rural area. Well, will that be less expensive? The answer is likely it will be. But then you run into a really big issue, which is access to quality health care. You probably know this, and I'm not a health care expert. You just read these things. Something like the first few minutes after a stroke are critical to returning to full health. We all know people who have heart attacks, and if you don't get help quickly, you may not make it. So moving to some small place uh, in the desert in West Texas, I'm being extreme here, uh, and it's 80 miles to El Paso, you got a problem. So I think the answer is this is going to continue to occur. There's no reason to think that it's going to quit. And there's only one answer, and that is reduce your residential real estate value by selling and moving into a smaller place. That doesn't sound like any fun at all. 
You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Mary Ann, you're on the line. You're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. Some uh, weeks back, um, I had a retirement planning uh, question for Good. you, and we Marianne, ran out of time. Marianne, excuse me. For, I just realized it's 29 minutes after the hour. Can you... Garrett, would you put Marianne on hold? And Marianne, I'll come back and you and I'll have a good conversation. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Bottom of the hour is a great time to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for another 26 minutes. If you've been thinking of calling or texting, do so at 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience download podcasts of all of our previous shows. You can also go to the free app SoundCloud and get the broadcast without the commercial messages. And this coming Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. Marianne, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi again, Carl. Hi. Um, Hi. The subject being retirement planning. Yes. yes. And um, I had called, uh, and it was sort of the, toward the end of the show, and yes. we didn't really get to. It was very hurried that what sure. we covered, but I have an example of something that you mentioned, mm-hmm. which is surprised me that I have this, but in um, January. First of January in '03. Mm-hmm. At that time, you could endorse a check that had made, been made to you and put it in a mutual fund, or the fund would accept it that way. And I, I know it's not that way anymore. Right. But I had a little check for two hundred and eighty-eight dollars, which mm-hmm. was a commission from something. Mm-hmm. And over those years, I never added anything to it. But for right. some reason, I kept that account. It's American Funds, one of right. their funds. Mm-hmm. All these all these years yeah. and my last statement that 288 dollars yeah. grew to 1361 <laughs> and the annualized rate over that period was 7.86%. And just think about that because we've had the global financial crisis, we had the covid, we've had some we had we had Rising interest rates last year, stocks were down, bonds were down, and during that period, that 20 years, think about how low inflation got. You had a significant real return, and if you put it in in 2000, the market peaked in 2000 and went went down 50% and bottomed in September of 2002. I mean, that's wonderful. That's just fantastic. That's the benefit of long-term investing. <laughs> and, and so wonderful to have an illustration of that, yes. that you know, that, <laughs> that you can show. But what I would like to ask you today is if yes. we could go back and sure. revisit that idea. I think you mentioned three, three you know, before we got yeah. kind of cut off with time, but yeah. uh, three areas of retirement planning that we need to consider. And I do a little bit on this kind of time with some folks, but, yeah. um, though, and you started out, I think with that long, 
investing long term that you yeah. need a lot of years. Yeah. But could you go over those three yeah. and kind of refresh yeah. me uh, yeah. how you'd present that? Yeah. Well, I, I probably, like I always do, I answer based on my experience off the top of my head, so I didn't write them down. So I'm just going to kind of go through what I think, what I see as being really critical aspects and sometimes sources of mistakes that people make. One is the distinction between um, distinction between life expectancy and longevity. Uh, my colleague Lindsay has really helped me understand this um, because when we look at life expectancy, uh, it's the total population. Uh, but the kind of people who uh, are savers and investors have some level of disposable income. Uh, otherwise, they couldn't save and invest. Secondly, they have they have access to uh, nutrition, they don't live in food deserts, uh, and they have access to health care. And once they hit 65, unless they're in an employer-sponsored plan, they have Medicare. So the longevity numbers uh, can be much longer. And one of the common themes that I experience with people, they'll say something along the lines, well, Carl, I'm 65, or I'm 63, and I'm fixing to retire in two years. I need to put my money in CDs in the bank. That's a huge mistake unless you have millions of dollars because you have the challenges in retirement from a financial planning standpoint are very straightforward, and this may be the three things you're talking about. You don't know how long you're going to live. You do not know what's going to happen to your cost of living, and you don't know what the rate of return is on your investment. Those are the three unknowns. And as a consequence of that, you have to take a much longer view. And your, your experience with that American fund is a perfect example of why, you want to, of why you want to do that. So when you think about your asset allocation, I was saying to an earlier caller, I was taught back in the dark ages that you put your age in bonds. Well, that won't work if you don't have a lot of money because bonds are not designed to outpace inflation. They're designed to have security of income and also the potential to offset loss in the periodic declines in the stock market. So asset allocation, as you and I have talked about for years, really determines and drives return and risk. And the mistakes I see people making is they're too conservative in their asset allocation. So those are the three things we don't know. Now, for someone like you who's a do-it-yourself investor, you always can Google something called Monte Carlo Theory. A lot of software, a lot of retirement planning software uses this. And what they do is they, the software, you put in an asset allocation mm -hmm of whatever you want, stocks and bonds and cash, and you may have commodities and other things, and then it runs a simulation. It might run 1,000 uh, simulations of, of actual returns in the past, but mixing up, mixing up, the, mixing up the returns in the asset allocation, and it, give, and it gives you a percentage of chances of success because you've had to put in there, well, I want I want $75,000 a year when I'm 65 uh, in addition to my Social Security, and I'm going to put in that inflation is going to be 3%, and I'm going to put in that my return, my investment return is going to be 6%. What are the odds, that, and I'm 66 years old and I'm a female, what are the odds that that'll work? And it'll give you a number. It'll give you a percentage chance. Of, now, 
that's just a software program. You might live to be 102, or you might pass away the next year. But it's helpful for people to realize the importance of not being too conservative too soon. So that's my thinking, Marianne. Well, I appreciate you going over those, and uh, I I just think your program is so helpful to so many people. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's the text. Carl, regarding my taxable account, is an exchange-traded fund investment better for international investments? like XUS, as opposed to a mutual fund with moderate to high turnover. I'm thinking about the impact of turnover on taxes. I wrote this before the Longhorn game, so I will listen to your response on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, but I've got it, my football fix. Good for you. Thank you, it's Steve and Lake Travis. So, um, really important question, uh, because taxes, because when you invest – your, part of your return, if it's not in an IRA or a 401k, is going, to, is going to be in taxes, and that's going to reduce your return. One of the benefits of exchange-traded funds, and, and I'm thinking specifically of the older, bigger ones that are they're passive and follow various, the Russell indexes or MSCI indexes or the, or the S&P or the NASDAQ or whatever, is they're by and large very tax-efficient because of the way in which they're structured, so they don't they don't distribute capital gains. Now, if the underlying let's say it's a stock index, if the underlying index the stocks pay dividends, obviously they're going to pay that out, and you reinvest. Okay, so that's the most tax efficient. Now, when it, the problem is that may not be the most sophisticated or thoughtful way to run it. You, I personally think a lot, I think very highly of ETFs and use them as part of the passive portion of the portfolio. But I like active management when it comes to fixed income bonds. And I think you can find funds, whether they're international or domestic, that can help you out in bad times like last year. So you can look at portfolio turnover. That's absolutely a consideration for tax liability. But also you need to look at the fact that they can turn over the portfolio in a good way, because if it's actively managed, I'm obviously just making this up as a hypothetical. Let's say that they're going to have to distribute in November or January or December their realized capital gains, and their fiscal year, let's say, ends in October. The the managers can look at the profits that they've already realized <clears throat> this year, and the odds are they're going to have companies and stock holdings in which they have losses. They can sell those funds, those stocks, stay out of them for a month, and take those losses and offset the gains. So just looking at portfolio turnover is not enough. You have to look at the distributions. You have to look at the historic distributions. Because in some years, there'll be very unusual distributions if they had a lot of liquidations. I remember back when the dot-com bubble burst, and as the S&P declined, the NASDAQ really went in the tank, and people sold their funds. Well, the managers, whether they liked the stocks or not, had to sell the stocks to generate cash to pay the requests of the shareholders. 
So they ended up with taxable gains, even though the value of their portfolio declined or the value of that fund. On the other hand, a lot of those funds had so much in the way of losses that they carried those forward and offset gains in, in subsequent years and became extremely tax efficient. So you have to look at more than turnover. Look at the, look at the historical distribution. Great question. You're listening to Money Talk. We're down to our last quarter hour. I'm about ready to take a break. If you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. I'm going to visit with Anthony when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're in our last quarter hour together. So if you've been thinking of calling or texting, you're running out of time. 512-836-0590. Uh, I'm going to interrupt before I get to you, Anthony. Here's a quick uh, text. Hi, Mr. Stewart. I've been listening to you for a number of years. I really need someone to look at all my investments, retirement, and we have several businesses. Do I take new? Do you take new clients? The answer is yes. I don't talk about my practice here on the air. I know you know that because you've been listening for several years. But you can Google me. I'm the only person in the world that doesn't have a website. So you can Google me. My last name is Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, Carl C-A-R-L Stewart. 512-836-0590. Anthony, you're on the line. How may I help? Hey, Carl. Hi. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Well, I have a question. What a year it's been. I have a few bank accounts and a few brokerage accounts. And as you know, over the last year, money market accounts are, are getting yes. about 5% yes. interest rate. Yes, it's wonderful. It's quite remarkable how much <laughs> we're getting uh, these days. So i got a series of questions that are all related. First is, Who's paying that 5%? Why isn't the big banks giving any of it, right? My Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, they're still at 0.01%. It's only the brokerage accounts and the, the online banks that are giving 5%. And then lastly, how long will it last? How long do you think? <laughs> That's a million-dollar question. Is it one more year? Is it 10 more years? <laughs> so... The way money market funds work is that money market funds are mutual funds, but they don't invest in stocks and they don't invest in longer term bonds. They invest in debt instruments of a year or less in maturity and they strive to keep the price per share at $1. So technically, when you put $10,000 in a Fidelity money market fund, you're buying 10,000 shares of a money market mutual fund with a price per share of a dollar. So what, what, do they, what do they invest in? There are three kinds of, three categories of mutual funds. I'm talking taxable ones now. They're what are called prime, government, and treasury. The prime funds can buy government bonds or government debt, but they also can buy corporate debt. So let's suppose you're the chief financial officer at Tesla and you want to borrow $50 million for six, say for six months, you go out into the financial market or you have your investment banker go out and you promise to pay back the $50 million in six months and people who buy your promise are going to bid for that. So that's the prime. 
the government ones buy U.S. treasuries. After all, short-term treasuries yield 5%, but they also buy government agencies. That would be Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And then the treasury money market funds buy treasuries only. So as you would predict, there's slightly more yield from the prime than there is on the government, and there's slightly more yield on the government than there is on the treasury. So that's how they work. Uh, and with the notable exception of during the global financial crisis, where one called the Reserve Fund broke the buck and was worth less than a dollar a share, I'm personally unaware that that's, that's happened anyplace else. And the sponsors of these funds, people like Fidelity or Vanguard or your broker-dealer, Charles Schwab, they have a vested interest in making sure these are safe. The last thing they want to do is you put your $10,000 in and it's not 10000 when you want the money. Now question number two. The banks have very little incentive to offer that to you as long as they have the amount of deposits they want. I mean, they're, they're in the business to make a profit. And if you're willing to sit there and earn 10 basis points and not get 500 basis points by going someplace else, they're more than happy to do that. Now, they may have a money market account. Most banks do. A money market account is not a money market fund. It's not a mutual fund. And it's guaranteed by the bank. And it's part of the, and you, if you have less than 250 in total deposits, 1,000, then you've got FDIC. If you want, your bank can, will probably belong to uh, an organization where if you had 500, they could spread it out so you'd always have FDIC insurance. And money market accounts will yield more than that daily liquidity checking savings count, not as much as money market funds. Once again, why? Because the marketplace, they don't have to. They don't, nobody has a constitutional right to make 5% on their cash. And they, they know how much they need to have in deposits. And they know how much they, want, they have to have to make loans. And, they're, and they know what their competitors are paying. And that's how they come to the conclusion. Now to the third and most important. When will these good times end? Frankly, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> so there well, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, man, you keep my money in cash, but like you say, it's uh, barely keeping up with inflation. If, if you think inflation is running 6%, well, you're yeah. still kind of losing at 5%, right? Right. right. Well, but right now, it's right now, again, we're just talking now. I just looked at the data. Infl if inflation is running more or less three and you're getting five, you're getting a real return before taxes. That, and well, that yeah, I don't really see that. Three percent is year over year. And a year ago, it was like at 10 percent. Right. But the so five percent. In the middle of six percent is the trend is, is what I'm believing. No, I don't, okay, you, but you can say that if you want to. I don't happen to agree with you. You have to look at the current rate of return on your cash and the current inflation rate. I mean, it was 6% before, but before that it was 1%. I mean, that's the past. The year, you know, yeah. the year, so you can look any way you want. You have a real, on today's numbers, you have a real return on cash. History will yeah. tell us, history tells us that will not last. And that's why I pound the table last week. I'll pound it again today. It's wonderful if you're a saver, you're finally getting some return. But if you're an investor and your horizon is three to five years or longer because you're planning for your future financial independence, do not 
stack all your money in a money market fund because as you have implied with your question whether it's next year or 18 months from now cash is going to go back it's going to be back in the day they called cash is trash cash is going to go back down whether we have a recession or a soft landing and people who have put all their money in a money market fund are going to be looking at two percent instead of five percent so it's wonderful while it lasts just don't confuse your asset allocation because short well, rates are so Well, let us know when you think it's going to go back down <laughs> and maybe we lock in some five-year CDs or something. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Thanks for Thank calling. You. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I don't know if I can get this snuck in. Let's see. All right. Let's look at this. Down at the bottom. This is one of those things. Okay. I have always had a strong bias toward U.S. stocks. How best to think about the international stocks and percentage of portfolio? Terrific question. So there's a, a lot of data. If, you, if, if you're interested, you can go to a public website, J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Market. They update it all the time. It's free. It's wonderful. And they have a chart in there of the years of outperformance of domestic or U.S. stocks over foreign stocks and the years of the opposite. And what you'll see is an amazing thing if you go back 25, 30 years, is that these periods last a really long time. And so domestic U.S. stocks have outperformed international stocks in the aggregate for years. Now, if you are a longer-term investor, and you are if you own stocks, and you're familiar with the fact that there's a reversion to the mean. Things don't last forever. I talked about Austin area real estate being down on a 13% or what was it, 12% median price per square foot. Now that's up after being up 35% previously, but there's a reversion to the mean. Supply and demand doesn't go away. And so I have an allocation to international equities. I have 75% in domestic and 25% in international. And I'm a blithering idiot because I should have had the whole thing in NVIDIA stock, but it's not the way I manage, that's not the way I choose to manage capital. So I think international, hang in there. I don't know when the turn's going to come, just like Anthony and I were chuckling about, I don't know when rates are going to go back down. But I will tell you that there's going to come a time, and if the dollar weakens and the global investors start looking through the current international and global recession and start looking coming out the other side, and typically the equity market moves in advance of those kinds of things happening, you're going to find yourself wishing you had an international exposure. So for long-term investors, that's what I would do. Thanks for the text. Well, been a lot of fun this afternoon. Thanks for your listening. Thanks for calling and texting. And I want to thank Garrett for doing his great job. And as always, remind you that next Saturday, after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk.